Hello and welcome to Talking Additive, episode 31. We really try to understand the background that our customers are coming from, the nature of their business or organization, what are the goals they're trying to accomplish, and then we look at how the solutions that we offer may be able to help add value there and then work with them. And it's a very tailored thing. We provide different levels of assistance depending on what each customer needs. For race cars, for a guy to go back and fab one out out of aluminum and get this exact <laughs> shape that you were, yeah. I mean, that's ours. And it can be done. And the guys that can do that out of metal are true artists. But with 3D printing, it's exact. It prints what you drew. Again, it, it has become a staple and not just a commodity, but a necessity for our sport. More on this and other topics on Talking Additive. On Talking Additive, we sit down with business leaders, innovators, and allies to discuss the impact of adopting 3D printing in their businesses. How does adopting additive manufacturing positively benefit a business today? How is the role of 3D printing evolving within design, manufacturing, education, and our lives? And what will be possible in the future? Welcome to the 31st episode for the Talking Additive podcast. Talking Additive launches new episodes on Tuesdays. Our first guest today is Jeremy Simon, co-founder of 3D Universe, an online retailer focused on desktop 3D printing and digital fabrication solutions. 3D Universe has been a longtime Ultimaker sales partner and a valuable presence in the 3D printing community at large. Their mission to make 3D printing and digital fabrication accessible for everyday people and professionals alike. Their team's approach tends to be consultative. They make product recommendations based on each individual customer's needs and experience level, and serve customers across a wide range of industries, including education, manufacturing, automotive, architecture, product design, and medical. Jeremy himself has been involved in 3D printing since 2013 with a passion for the good that can be accomplished with this technology, as represented by his own long-term personal involvement with the Enable volunteer community. He is also the host of 3D Universe Untethered, a series of webinars covering different aspects of 3D printing and digital fabrication across a number of industries. Jeremy, thank you for joining us today and welcome to Talking Additive. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Matt. So what was your start in this universe? How did you first encounter 3D printing? When I had decided to leave the business that I was in previously, which was completely unrelated, I owned a consulting firm, which was a successful business, but a pretty high stress environment. And there came a point where I just decided I wanted more time with my family. So I sold my shares in that business and just decided to take some time off. Didn't really have a plan for what was next. But being a tech guy during that time off, this was back in around 2012. This was when desktop 3D printing was getting popular and there were very affordable options available that people like myself could just play with and, and experiment. And I decided to do just that. So I got myself a uh, rather uh, inexpensive 3D printer to play with. It was a FlashForge machine at the time. And it was just the thing to get me started. And like many people, I started downloading things from sites like Thingiverse and just printing and having fun with it. And I was fascinated by just the basic capabilities of what this machine could do. It was shortly thereafter that I came across one of these prosthetic hand designs that led me to this Enable volunteer community that was just getting started at the time. And that really blew me away. That's when I saw the sort of life-changing potential of this technology that not only got me involved with that volunteer community, but also led me down this path of wanting to build a business around this very exciting technology that I saw as being very empowering and opening up some very exciting possibilities for people. 
So what were the steps you took to form 3D Universe and start on this new chapter in your life? It happened very naturally. It started with just blogging, which was something I did with no interest of starting a business. I was just having so much fun with the 3D printing, and I just decided I wanted to start sharing some of what I was doing. I started sharing projects and started sharing some of the how-tos as I figured out how to make things work with the particular printer I was getting started with. Found that people were uh, seeing value in that, and so I kept sharing. That's where the domain 3 3duniverse.org came from because it started as a blog, just informational, not as a business with commercial aspirations. That's why we stuck with that domain, 3duniverse.org. So I built the blog first and just started sharing and engaging with people and got more and more involved in that Enable volunteer community and started sharing the work that I was doing with that. And it was around that time that a very close friend approached me with a similar interest in starting a business. He was in the same boat, working for a big company, a stressful position, wanted to have more freedom and be able to do something that was more his own. So he and I started talking and I introduced this idea of 3D printing and building a business around that. And he got rather excited about it. And we decided that we wanted to take an approach of building an e-commerce business around this because he and I both wanted the freedom and flexibility that came with that. And so we decided to take this online approach and felt that 3D printing really lended itself well to that because of the fact that it is a digital technology that benefits from leveraging the internet and being able to share files with people in different places. You know, there's a lot of good tie-in with the, sort of the digital <laughs> infrastructure that we wanted to be, be able to focus on for this business. I know that you sell a lot of solutions in 3D printing and digital fabrication, but I know in particular of your role in the Ultimaker ecosystem. What has it been like being one of the longtime U.S.-based sales partners for Ultimaker? Well, it really has been a wonderful partnership. I hope that it has been mutually beneficial, but speaking from our end, I, I can say that it really has been a wonderful partnership because of the kinds of people that we found at Ultimaker and the way that they work with the channel. Ultimaker recognizes the value of knowledgeable folks like ourselves who are hands-on with this technology, who can help guide people through the learning process of how to get the most from their investment in this technology. And that's what we love doing. We love being able to show people how to integrate this into their business or their processes. And that's something that Ultimaker finds value in. And so we've loved that partnership of being able to help each other. We, we benefit from the huge reach that Ultimaker has and the wonderful brand that they've built. We like representing good products. You know, at the end of the day, that's what it's about for us. It's about being able to give our customers a really good experience. Talk to anybody out there nowadays about 3D printing, and you mentioned the name Ultimaker, and it's just associated with the best in desktop 3D printing. And that makes our job a lot easier because then it's just about helping them to get started with something that they already recognize as being a great solution. That's wonderful to hear. And definitely the partnership is mutual. It's amazing to have the opportunity to work with you and your, your team because of your passion and dedication for really helping customers accomplish what they're trying to do. How do you approach helping guide customers to 3D printing when for many of the customers, this is often new and unfamiliar technology. That's where, as luck would have it, my consulting background comes in handy. I spent 20 plus years uh, running consulting firms of, of various types before my role here with 3D Universe. And as you mentioned in the introduction, we work with our customers in a consultative capacity. We really don't sell here at all. We don't have salespeople. We have consultants. We have people that will talk to you 
try to understand what it is that you're looking to do, and we will help guide you to the right solution. Honestly, whether or not it's something that we offer. There's been plenty of times that we have said, I think you ought to go look at this, even if it's something that we don't happen to offer at the time. We want to help our customers find the right fit. We really try to understand the background that our customers are coming from, the nature of their business or organization, what are the goals they're trying to accomplish. And then we look at how the solutions that we offer may be able to help add value there and then work with them. And it's a very tailored thing. We provide different levels of assistance depending on what each customer needs. Now, you had mentioned that your interest in Enable actually preceded your formation of 3D Universe, at least as a business. Tell a little bit about that long journey. Well, like I said, when I first got the 3D printer, it was I had no idea that it was going to lead down this path. It was, for me, just a tech gadget. It was a toy. It was something to play with. At the time, I had no CAD skills. So I was going to sites like Thingiverse and Umagine and downloading the designs that were available and printing them off. And that was a lot of fun. But it was when I came across one of these prosthetic hand designs that I really sort of had an eye-opening experience. I started to think about using a 3D printer, not just to print something that can sit on a shelf looking pretty, but potentially making things that can be life-changing, very powerful. And when you start to think about assistive technology in general, that's goes beyond just prosthetics, right? There's all kinds of assistive technology devices that a 3D printer can be useful for. That started to really get me excited about the technology. In the context of your involvement with Enable, you've done a lot of work to provide platforms to really help that community expand and help people connect. Do you want to talk about some of those steps? When I got involved with Enable, I saw the opportunity not just to put this 3D printer to great use, which I did and and had some great experiences through that, but also to help serve this community in other ways. I, I have a strong infrastructure background. I was able to help them with some of their online web presence and help build some of the infrastructure that now serves that community. And that grew over time. I also developed the main social platform for the Enable community. We call it the Enable Hub. I also helped to run a help desk on the back end, which is operated through my business. So we're able to offer support, both phone and email and live chat support for the community in a way that they weren't able to do before. And then another thing that we saw that was needed as as we looked at the real potential that this community could have through my own experiences in making an Enable device, you know, the 3D printer is wonderful. You can print all of those components that make up the bulk of the device right off the printer. But there's a little bit more to it. There's a lot of screws, there's cords, flexible cords and non-flexible cords, there's Velcro, there's medical grade foam padding. There's these other materials that you have to gather and use to assemble a fully working prosthetic device. So it occurred to me that a lot more people would be able to make these devices a lot more easily and cost-effectively if we put together assembly materials kits that have exactly the materials that you need for one device all in one kit. And so we started doing just that. My wife and I started sourcing all of these materials in bulk and putting together these kits by hand. My wife does all the packaging herself, and we ship them out all over the world. To date, we have shipped out over 15,000 of these kits all over the world. So it's definitely making a difference in helping people to make these devices more easily. Looking back to your professional and industry customers, what are some things that you have learned from working with a lot of teams looking to kind of understand 3D printing and really make it work for them that you would want to share with talking out of listeners who might be looking to adopt 3D printing in their companies? One of the things that I've observed over time is how 3D printing has moved from being 
perceived as this magical new technology that people would pursue almost as a separate thing. Like we got to learn this 3D printing thing and develop this new area of specialization, all that. And I've seen that shift over time to where more and more it's just another tool in the toolkit. And it's just becoming part of the common language and understanding of how you do manufacturing, how you do prototyping. And it's been really exciting to see that evolution uh, of thinking and how people perceive and interact with 3D printing. This would be a great opportunity for you to introduce Jason. You had been sharing with me some recent work. You had done a, a case study and partnership between you and Jason's company. Yeah. Well, when we talked about this and we wanted to get a customer involved, I immediately thought of Jason Enders, one of the owners of RE Suspension. And the reason I thought about him is we've had a long working relationship together. And, you know, just for context, he's in the, the motorsports industry and they are the leading provider of shock and suspension solutions for all levels of the motorsports industry. And he really built a wonderful business without having any benefit of 3D printing. At the time, they were outsourcing everything to third parties for all their prototyping needs. But when he became became aware of 3D printing and started to realize how it could benefit him, he brought that in and he went through the whole kind of life cycle of getting his first 3D printer, figuring out how to make it work, learning what he could and couldn't do with it, and then going through the process of realizing more and more how it could benefit his business. First internally, he went through using it to make manufacturing aids and jigs and things like that, and then realizing that he could go even further and make end-use parts that his customers could benefit from. And he actually now his parts listed on his website that he sells that came right off of his Ultimaker 3D printers. And he just, he's one of these guys just keeps finding more and more ways of leveraging 3D printing in his business. And so he just keeps adding more 3D printers. And that's where, you know, Ultimaker was a great fit for him. It was a great investment. It gave him exactly the tools that he needed for what he wanted to do. And it's at a price point where when he now wants to scale up capacity, well, he just adds in another Ultimaker machine and he's just gradually scaling up now. Jeremy, thank you so much for introducing Jason at RE Suspension to Talking Additive. It's going to be wonderful to sit down and talk with him, which will be the interview we'll share right after this. Jeremy, for those who are looking to hear some of your podcasts and see some of your videos, how do they find 3D Universe Untethered? Just go to 3duniverseuntethered.com and you can always see the upcoming episodes and recordings of past episodes. Thank you again, Jeremy, for, for joining and Talking Additive today. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Matt. Our first guest today was Jeremy Simon, co-founder and CEO of 3D Universe. Next up is a customer that Jeremy has selected to highlight for this episode, the second generation motorsports racing parts expert, Jason Enders of RE Suspension. First of all, Jason, thank you so much for joining on Talking Additive today. Thanks for having me, Matt. This always a good time. Well, I'm really looking forward to chatting at length about your journey into 3D printing and your racing background. My name is Jason Enders, and I'm the owner and CEO here at RE Suspension in Mooresville, North Carolina, right in the heart of racing country. And for the listeners who don't know, why is it known as racing country? This is where NASCAR really cut its teeth, and it was born and bred right here in the Carolinas. As NASCAR started getting popular, this is where all the teams located because it's where the parts were available. It's where the technology was coming out of the IndyCar series. They all had Indianapolis and that's where all those teams migrated and NASCAR just happened to be Mooresville or Charlotte, North Carolina. So it just happened. How did you first get involved with racing? I was born into it, Matt. 
I, I was one of those lucky ones. Maybe I'm not sure. Sometimes I'd question that, but I was born into it. So my dad has raced his whole life. His dad raced his whole life. You know, our whole family's been in racing and growing up, my dad had a parts store and a service shop in Ohio. And at the time he was crew chiefing a Trans Am team and him and the guy that owned the, the team decided that they were going to go NASCAR racing. So they built a car and raced it like three or four races out of Ohio. And they decided it's like, all right, well, this is going to be serious. So my dad uprooted the whole family and we moved here to Mooresville, North Carolina and Growing up, it's just what I did. I helped dad at the shop, went to college. And when I got out, I just, I've raced. That's all, it's all I know. It's all I know. It's all I've ever done. What's it been like seeing the huge explosion from being something for the, the passionate few to now being one of the top watch sports in the world of any sort? It, it's crazy. There's a handful of people that can take something that they're passionate about doing and figure out a way to get paid doing it. That's really the way I've felt my whole life is that we've all managed to take a hobby and something that we're passionate about and make it a career. The whole face of this sport and this industry, just in the 30, 35 years that I've been in it, has completely changed. And the amount of money and the amount of TV coverage and notoriety, and as fast as this sport is growing, we're trying to keep our hands around it and figure out where our little company here fits into the grand scheme of things. As NASCAR blew up, people got interested in it and it's like, well, I want to race. And it blew up what we call the grassroots motorsports. And we've been able to witness it all and be a part of that. And it's really fun. It's great. You mentioned growing up, your dad had a parts store. What about the origin of uh, RE suspension? Because you, you were initially focused on racing and now yep. you also make a big impact on making racing possible for a lot yep. of folks. I was, again, born into the sport. My dad was a crew chief, and we came up through, back then, what used to be called the Bush Series and Winston Cup Series, and I was working for a Winston Cup team, and it was the next to last race of the year. We were flying on a plane back from Phoenix, and I, I had this, I, I, I was talking to God a little bit, and it's like, I want to quit racing. This is not where I want to be. The NASCAR was getting so popular and it was bringing in so many people that a lot of us didn't feel were true racers. They were there to make sure they were on TV and wear yeah. a cool uniform. And it's like, man, this is not where I want to be. So I got in my head. It's like, I want to quit racing. So that was the first half of the flight. And the second half of the flight voice in my head was like, dude, you don't hate racing. You just hate where you're at. So I came back and I was thinking about that and I quit and I wound up with my dad working at a place because he was in between jobs and my dad got a deal to run the shock division for a company called BSR. They were like a major parts store that supplied parts to all of NASCAR. And one of the other race teams, a uh, big race team, had multiple cars, called and wanted me to run their shock group for all three mm -hmm. race cars. And I was 26, 27. It was for a lot of money. And it's like, all right, cool. So I was driving up there and I started thinking, man, I really don't want to do this. So I called my dad. I'm like, dad. He was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm driving up here to go talk to these guys about this job. And he was like, okay. And I'm like, I don't want to do it. And he was like, why not? And I'm like, because 
I'm one finger point away from being out of a job. The driver gets out and he's having a bad day or whatever. They point fingers and then you're the guy and I just don't want to do it. And he said, turn around. Oh, all right. So I turned around, started coming back home and I was getting ready to uh, call the guy that I was interviewing with. And my dad called me back. And when me and dad were working in this shock department, this guy had come down, Kurt Roerig who owns Roerig Engineering, and Roerig makes all the testing equipment for the damper industry. And he'd come down about six or eight months before that and said, you know, I want to start my own shock division. What do you guys think? So dad called me and said, hey, you remember when Kurt came down and talked to us? And I was like, oh, yeah. He was like, why don't you go talk to Kurt? So I got off the next exit and I turned around again <laughs> and went back north on I-85 and sat down with Kurt. And it was really about that quick. I had all the knowledge, I had all the connections, I had no money, and the most expensive part for starting that little business that we started that was just me was testing equipment. Shock dynos back then were, they were like $23,000, $24,000. So Kurt gave me a dyno and he gave me a really, really small paycheck and something that I could just get the bills paid with and said, you got six months, I'll carry you for six months. And we took it and ran. And grew it into, we now got 10 people and, you know, we're multi-million dollar damper business. So I owe a lot to Kurt. And I know that was a long-winded story for what you asked, but I got here because of people I knew and my dad had been in the sport for decades. And so I had been in it for my whole life. And we found a really cool way for me to be in racing, but not be in racing. So we've had fun with it. Well, I'm I'm talking to you now, and you're at RE Suspension, and I see behind you, you have a couple of 3D printers. Did you ever imagine in the early days that you would have a 3D printer there in the workshop? Nope. Nope. <laughs> 3D printing, that was something for rich guys and big companies and whatnot. I actually tripped into owning a 3D printer. I had just prototyped a new wrench. We built a shock wrench that is able to take apart like a whole lot of different shocks. And we built this, it's like a Frankenstein wrench that's got, you can do a lot of things with this one wrench. But I had to prototype it because I wanted to feel it in my hand and I needed to see if the radiuses were right and if you could get the right leverage on it. I had a customer come in and we were talking and he was like, this company out here, they've got these desktop 3D printers. And I'm like, okay. But I looked at it, I'm like, no, come on. Because, you know, up until that point, I thought 3D printers were like the old computers they had yeah. back in the 60s. They take up this whole room and these 3D printers are $50,000, $70,000. So I pulled it up online. I'm like, dude, I'm going to roll the dice on that. Because just in that instance, when him and I were on the front counter talking, I showed him this wrench. I think I did two prototypes and I think it was like four or 500 bucks that I spent on just prototyping those two wrenches. I came back and I thought about it and it's like, well, if I only do this like two or three times a year, this printer will pay for itself just in running prototypes out. So I bought one. And when I first got it, it was the greatest thing ever. I just had to take drawings that we already had in SolidWorks and export it as a certain file type and put it into this software that they had and it sliced it up and you hit print. So as I got better and my ability caught up with the printer, I realized that this thing was a piece of junk. Now I've recognized what I can do with 3D printing, and now I need to find a printer. I made a couple phone calls, and I landed at a 3D Universe up there with Jeremy Simon. And I got one of his guys on the phone, and he talked to me for probably half an hour, and I told him what I was doing, and he was like, this is what you need. And it happened to be an Ultimaker 2. 
he gave me everything I needed and I came back and I've not left since. And now we've got five Ultimaker printers and I've got another one on order. We've grown the family quite extensively, just realizing what all we can do with 3D printing. Speaking of what you can do with 3D printing, what are the couple of the uses that you've been putting to the technology over the years? The biggest thing that we use 3D printing for here is really prototyping. Racing is an extremely fast-paced industry. We have to continuously come out with new product. It's become a SOP here that anytime a new part is designed, we'll print it Let's so, so we can physically hold it. There's artists out there that can take that idea that's in their head and just put it on paper. I'm not one of those guys. I need to hold it. I need to see it. Mm-hmm. I need to look at it and I need to flip it. Even though we can do all that in the CAD software, I can't. So holding the part and seeing it and putting it actually in place is invaluable to us. So prototyping is the biggest thing as we got to using 3D printers more and more and using it personally. You've got this thing here that if as long as you can draw it and, and design it, it's like it, it'll print it from shelf brackets to organizational tools. My guy's bench is out here in the shop. Everything has got a some kind of holder or a rack or something. But we took all that and we started looking around the shop, what we could design into and stick in the 3D printer and let it spit one or two of these out a day and put them on the shelf and sell them. That and all the fixtures, it's been used there and I, I, I could go on for days. The printer is going more times than it's not. Like right now, because everybody knows we're really big fans of 3D printing, we're starting to do stuff for other businesses in town. They're yep. bringing us parts and we're making these printers pay for themselves easily. So tell us your impressions of the shifting roles for 3D printing within racing and automotive in general. Do you think there is a good role for 3D printing in that context outside of how you're using it? In racing, a thousand percent, it's already getting there. And when I say racing, I'm talking about here in Mooresville, which is NASCAR country, right? The top 20 teams in NASCAR, they all have them in-house, whether it's little desktop printers or big throwdown commercial type 3D printers to Ultimakers, they're showing up everywhere. And with the way that NASCAR is driving what these cars look like and what we're having to work with, so many of the parts are not just a good fit for 3D printing, but a necessity. It's the only way some of these parts can be made, especially inside the cockpits. They've got these drivers in here so tight and we're making brackets to hold gauges and Mm -hmm. switches. And with this new car, especially weight has become such a huge concern because these cars are so heavy. They're trying to cut weight out wherever they can. And short of going the titanium route, which is insanely expensive, 3D printing has become the default for so much of the stuff we're working on. Right now, I would say the biggest holdback for it being used even more is heat and strength. And honestly, Matt, the way I see it, as fast as companies like Ultimaker are pushing the limits of what 3D printers can do and the quality that we can get out of them, I think the materials are coming along the same way. And I know it's just right around the corner. It's been really interesting over the past couple of years seeing a lot more inquiries from racing, everything from really extremely high-end racing 
where there still is a place for professional desktop because mm-hmm. maybe they're not making an engine component, but they're making a tool that is totally appropriate for the temperature range and strength or something to manage, say, airflow, things like this, where it's not just that it's nice to be able to make something a particular shape. It's that you can take the work you're doing and, and find a use for the CAD information you have for the stuff where you don't have parts. And suddenly, mm-hmm. even like some of the simulation projects are pretty wild. But one thing that I wanted to mention is that you're seeing a lot of functional iteration, being able to get something out in the world, get some information and optimize it and keep feeding that information back in. And that coupled with the ability to constantly change what's your array of tools, it seems to really be changing the sport. Just like 3D printer industry, the data acquisition industry is just through the roof. You wouldn't believe the stuff that you can measure, like stuff you didn't even know was possible. And I know all the data guys, it's not a a would like to have a 3D printer. They have to have one because they're trying to figure out how to put potentiometers or string pots or sonar cells. They're trying to mount this stuff to a car that it wasn't built for it. There's no bolt holes. There's no places to put it. You just, you have to figure out how to measure this car. So they 3D print a thousand different brackets and trinkets and holders just to be able to put these data systems in race cars. And you were talking about airflow. So many of the teams right now, their front, we used to call them NACA ducks, for the brakes, they sit on the front of the car and basically funnel air into like a three-inch diameter hose Mm -hmm. to cool down the brakes. Well, (laughs) all of those are 3D printed. All those duct works, the air cleaners, the cowls for the car, because for these race cars, for a guy to go back and fab one out out of aluminum and get this exact (laughs) shape that you were, I mean, that's hours and it can be done. And the guys that can do that out of metal are true artists. And I want to make sure that 3D printing doesn't put these guys out of business because it's a true art form. But with 3D printing, it's exact. It prints what you drew. Again, it it has become a staple and not just a commodity, but a necessity for our sport. There's been a story of resistance from a lot of, you know, machine shops and garages that have all manual equipment and they've got the skilled builders who really know that gear. You know, they're a little bit resistant to the intrusion of this, like digitally driven stuff. It's been exciting to see racing and automotive and aftermarket in general flipping back the other way where it's like, okay, this is not eliminating what these people can do. What it's doing is it's making some of these things more accessible. It's also eliminating some stuff that's really lame and boring that that machinist does not want to do. Yeah. Yep. And I understand where machinists are coming from. I, I really do. But that will never go away. I don't care what we do. Plastic is never going to be as strong or perfect for every situation. 3D printing just opens up the possibilities for us to make small runs and prototypes. Even as the materials and the printers advance and we all get better materials and the printers can do even more amazing things, the need for machinists, that it'll never go away. So considering all that you've been doing and exploring with 3D printing in a racing context, What are things that you're really excited to see made possible by 3D printing in the near future? Stuff that either you want to do or that you think in general that the field should be doing more of? What I would like to see become available to me, short of the metal 3D printers that can print Inconel and all that, is for the desktop 3D printer industry and the filament guys to get me a material that is super strong and machinable. 
so that I can print what we would consider like a cast and send it to the machine shop and do a finished cut on it. Because with 3D printing, we can print stuff that is not impossible to machine, but takes a five axis, twin spindle, yeah. triple throw down half a million dollar machine to carve out. We can print it easy on a 3D printer and then just finish process it, clean it up, and we have a finished part. So I think it's coming. I don't know, but that would change our industry, my industry massively. You mentioned early in this interview, uh, your experiences like reaching out to 3D Universe and talking to Jeremy and his team. What has the process of working with them been like? Oh, awesome. To be honest with you, they are the whole reason that I landed with Ultimaker and with half the materials that I've got because I, I don't live online and look at what's coming out and all the magazines and the websites that review everybody. I don't live there. And so I called Jeremy's guys and it's like, look, I don't have time. I need a printer. I don't want to work on the printer. I want to put a part in it and hit go and it it works. He was like, right now we are having super good luck out of this Ultimaker 2. Guys like Jeremy's up there at 3D Universe, having somebody that knows all this stuff and they've printed it and tested it and played with all these different things. It's money for me because it's time that I don't have to spend researching all these different filaments. It's like, hey, here's what I got. Here's what I need it to do. What do you suggest? So they've been a really helpful tool for us here at RE Suspension. Jason, I just want to thank you so much for being on Talking Additive. It's a pleasure talking to you about this and hearing about your history in racing and your contributions to it. Oh, Matt, it's been fun. And I really appreciate you guys. I'm really honored that Ultimaker looks at us and gave us a shot here. Thank you again to Jeremy Simon of 3D Universe and Jason Enders from RE Suspension for joining us today. We hope that you have enjoyed our 31st episode for the Talking Additive podcast. If you have any questions about any topics covered during this episode of Talking Additive, we invite you to post on Twitter or LinkedIn to hashtag Talking Additive, all one word. Talking Additive launches new episodes each Tuesday. Next week, join us to meet Douglas Crone, founder and CEO of Dynamism, who will introduce customer Chris Benson, Oracle Experience Labs engineer, who, among other things, is the creator of the world's largest Raspberry Pi cluster, a project which took particular advantage of 3D printing. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the conversation by signing up for news and announcements at TalkingAdditive.com. Thank you again to Jeremy and Jason. Our episode editor is Alexander Seuss. Our series producer is Hannah Gabrielle Tacchini, studio manager David Roberson, music by Brian Scarry and Giulio Carmasi of Hummingbird's Custom Music and Sound. I am host and producer Matt Griffin, and thank you for listening. On Talking Additive, we hold conversations with colleagues and customers about 3D printing's impact on business.